I'm so glad you're here watching online. I know many people are watching from different places around the world, but if you're ever in our area, we would love to invite you to come in and be our guest. It's one thing to watch online. It's another thing to be in the house and experience what God is doing. So glad you're watching today. Now, today I want to talk to you. It's Palm Sunday, and I want to talk to you about the thought, the truth about Palm Sunday. The truth about Palm Sunday. What really makes you mad? Is there, is there small things that just get on your last nerve that really make you irritable or upset you? Maybe it's skipping a meal. Anybody here? Your, your spouse skips a meal and you know it, right? You're like, oh, you're grouchy. Get, get, here's a Snickers. All right, here you go. Something. How about that person who doesn't get enough sleep? Anybody here get real irritable when you're not getting enough sleep? Any new parents here today? Okay, yeah, we feel you today. How about people who don't turn their phones off in public places like <coughs> church? Anyway, don't, this will be a good time to silence your phone in case you didn't pick up on that clue. You know, um, it, can be, uh, it can be very upsetting when you're teaching here. You know, true story. One time when my children were small, they were staying with my parents and our creative media director, smart, intelligent, handsome young man who's now the creative director of this church was a young boy, my son Preston. He was playing with his papa's flip phone because my dad only knew how to answer and hang up. He didn't know anything else. And so he'd have his grandkids fix his phone and get him ready. And my son thought it would be really funny if he changed his papa's ringtone to quacks like a duck. Oh, you follow me here today. And so my dad puts that phone back on his belt. Remember when you used to wear them on the belt with a clip? If you're wearing it on the belt with a clip today, that's out of style. But I'm just telling you, okay, back then everybody wore them on their belt. And my dad was actually on staff at a church and he was helping serve at a big church, helping serve communion this day. Both of his hands were full of communion. And all of a sudden, somebody's calling him, and you hear, quack, 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 quack. And I guess the dad was shaking the communion, like he didn't know what to do. To, so he tried to ignore it, like nobody would know it's him. And pretty soon, the pastor looks over, like, who's that quack? Quacking over there. We, or someone, that person who picks up the phone in the elevator or on a plane and talks really, really loud so that everybody else can hear them. Uh, what things get you irritable? What things make you mad? I hate it when someone, we're on a small plane and you're packed in like sardines and the person in front of you lays back their seat right in your lap. Like you can look down and see their nose right there in front of you. They recline and I'm like, uh, high knee and like grabbing it. The turbulence is really bad today. I'm like, what, what are you doing reclining back? As everybody knows, we don't recline on small planes. What gets you mad? What makes you angry? Uh, you know, when you get mad and angry, we, we usually respond the wrong way, don't we? we? We respond the wrong way. And then when the adrenaline, and in the moment we feel right, and when the adrenaline kind of lets down, and we're like, what did I say? What did I do? Did I really act that way? Did I really do that? You know, here's a, here's a good message for you this morning. Don't ever text. Email, <laughs> post on social media when you're mad. It never ends well. 
You always, you feel good at the moment, but then it never ends well. You go back later and go, why did I say that? I just offended half of my audience. I just said something that was really dumb. I shouldn't have done that in public. And, you know, we make many mistakes in our anger. Matter of fact, Ephesians 4.26 says, in your anger, do not sin. He's warning us when we're angry, get a hold, get a grip on yourself. Don't, don't react out of anger because we always end up messing it up. It's okay to be angry, but it's not okay to sin when we're angry. You know, the final week is what we call the Passion Week as we are entering in Palm Sunday today all the way to Easter Sunday, the resurrection next Sunday morning. This next week becomes what we call the Holy Week or many people call it the Passion Week. And it signifies when Jesus returned back to Jerusalem, he was fulfilling prophecy that he would come in riding on a donkey. And as he came back in, the crowds were singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they were cheering him. They were excited that he was coming back. And they were waving the palm branches. It was was pretty cool. They're all waving the palm branches at, at Jesus, singing Hosanna, Hosanna. That's why they call it Palm Sunday. They were laying them down so he could walk on the palm branches. They were waving them, singing his name, his praises. And and Jesus was kind of like, he was very upset. Matter of fact, we see in the story where Jesus actually gets really mad in the story. He goes in later and starts overturning the, the, the money tables, the changers in the temple. Upset that people were not bringing their proper worship. They were trying to purchase a worship, shortcutting. Here he was heading to the cross to sacrifice his life for our sins. And some of these people couldn't even take time to bring a sacrifice out of their livestock. And so they were coming and they were trying to purchase it and just boycott. So he got really upset that they were not understanding the heart of worship. They got really upset. They didn't understand what his purpose was even find out before he enters the city that he stops and he weeps. He's upset. Look at this in Luke 19, verse 11. Before Jesus gets into the city, the crowd was listening to everything Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. See, in their minds, they had a narrative already figured out. In their minds, they already knew that Jesus was coming back to overthrow the kingdom. They thought a political kingdom. They thought he was coming to bring a political overthrow of the kingdom. And Jesus was like, you don't need a political king. You need a spiritual king. You don't have a political problem. You have a sin problem. Some things never change, right? (laughs) Sometimes we think our greatest need is what's going on in the political world. No, our greatest need is what's going on in the spiritual world. And Jesus was, was upset because people were not getting it. He was bothered really, really bad. It really upset him. He wept. He cried. He got angry. He had all these emotions because people were not understanding the hour at hand. They missed the part before the Messiah would reign that he had to first suffer and die. Even though he'd been telling them this, teaching them this, now his hour was nearing. The days were now going to be set into motion. He knew that once he came into the city, that he would begin to set into motion the crucifixion process. But people were missing it. Hosanna. Hosanna, they're waving. Because they wanted their narrative. They wanted Jesus on their terms. They wanted all this to happen. See, Palm Sunday was a happy day of celebration. But it was a bitter sweet day for Jesus. 
There was a lot of emotions that we see. But if we really understand the true story of Palm Sunday, Jesus was at, was at odds in his heart, in his spirit. He was angry. He was weeping. He was crying. At his height of his popularity, he knew that it was all for nothing. He knew that people didn't understand why he was really coming. He knew the same people that were crying out, Hosanna, 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 in just a few days would say, crucify, crucify, crucify him. So he's, this is all playing out in his mind, in his spirit. Jesus entered the city knowing it would set into motion the things on his life that were to take place. According to the prophecy, he'd have to ride back into Jerusalem on a donkey. And just a few days later, he would be arrested. He would be tied up and beaten. He would be nailed to the cross for you and I. Jesus entered the city knowing this was, so you understand maybe his hesitancy just a little bit. You understand that he's counting the cost of what it's going to take for his body. He understands the pain he's about to go through. And so he stops and, and he weeps and he gets angry because he's thinking of all this. See, we got to understand the birth, look at this, the birth of Jesus was so there would be a death of Jesus. The birth was the easy part, right? Come down as the babe, mom and dad take care of you, you have siblings, you grow up learning to be a carpenter, you, you play with family and friends, and then you go on with public ministry and you get a group of interns, 12 disciples and other people to follow you, and you're teaching them about the kingdom of God, you're traveling the countryside doing miracles and teaching, and things are going great. But now... The part of the cross is right there. And Jesus knows once I enter into Jerusalem on the donkey, there's no turning back. God's plan is set into motion. It's going to set off a chain reaction of things that must take place in order for you and I to have provision made for our sins. He knew that there was no turning back from this plan. So he was contemplating. He was counting the costs. He knew the purpose was for atonement even though the crowd didn't understand it. You know, when my children turn one, all five of our kids, when, when, when they turn one, we did something. We bought them cakes, and they got their own individual baby cake full of icing. And if they were a boy, they probably had blue icing. If they were a girl, probably had pink icing on there. And it had the big one on for the happy birthday and we would put them in their high chair, and we would strip them down, take off the shirt, take off the pants and shoes and socks. This leaving, their diaper was the only thing we left on them, put them in the high chair, put like garbage bags around on the floor, and then we bring the cake in, sing happy birthday, and put it down, and just let the kids enjoy the cake. Come on, parents, sometimes you just gotta let your kids enjoy the cake. And they didn't just enjoy the cake. They ate the cake. They smeared the cake. They put the cake on their head. They put the cake on their body. They, they spit the cake out. They swallowed the cake. They were going through a sugar rush. It was awesome. And they made a mess. But you want to know what? It was already, it was okay they made a mess. You want to know why? Because their mom and I had foresight to make provision for their mess. We knew they were going to make a mess of things, so we already had a plan in motion that would take care of their mess. 
And what I want you to understand today, even though the crowd was not understanding at that time, that the Father already had a plan in motion to provide for you atonement, provision. When Adam and Eve messed up in the Garden of Eden, God wasn't shocked, God wasn't surprised, but he was already 10 steps ahead of the enemy. He already had a plan in motion that he would send his son to stand in our place and he would be the perfect one who would give his life, the Lamb of God, and make atonement that you and I could be reconnected to the Father. God made provision, and Jesus knew that in order for this provision to take place, I, I must come into the city. I must return back home. So he knew what he was doing. He, God was making provision. And he submitted to it. Jesus willingly submitted, even though he knew when I come back, it's on. He said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. He submits himself to the authority of the Father. He submits himself to the plan, a provision God had made for the Father, even though it was going to cost him much, much physical pain. It was going to cost him much physical rejection. He was going to go through emotional rejection of those closest to him. Now let's pick up the story. Let's read the story, keeping this in mind in Luke 19. Let's pick it up in verse 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives. The whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. They said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory on, on the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, even the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept. He cried. He cried over it. Openly, he was upset. He's weeping. And in his heart, he, he said this openly to them. If you even had a clue, if you even knew, only known on this day, what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. You don't even see why I'm coming. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and they'll encircle you. They'll hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and you will and your children within your walls. They would not leave one stone un, unturned because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So we see something happening here. Jesus enters a city in a way that draws attention to him. And if you think about it, Every other time, Jesus didn't try to draw attention to him. It wasn't about how many likes he had. He wasn't about how many shares he got. It wasn't about all that attention that tries to draw himself the way you and I do. He was really just the opposite. He would heal people. He would change people. And he'd say, go, go don't tell anybody. Because he didn't want the crowds. They did anyway. And the crowds always came and he always ministered and he always loved. But you see, he was never trying to draw attention to himself. He always said, if you see anything good, it's from the Father. Anything good I have to say is from the Father. Anything good I do is from the Father. Always pointing to the Father, never trying to draw attention to himself. But this one time, this one time, Jesus allowed himself to be the center of attention. He knew that once he got on that donkey and began to ride into town, 
that everybody would know. All of his haters would know he is there. All those who worship him would know. Everybody, everybody knew Jesus was drawing near and they came out. They had time. They broke branches off. They laid them down so he could have the red carpet experience. They, they waved those palm branches around. They screamed out to him. They, they praised him. But Jesus came in on a donkey. Why did he come riding in on a donkey? I mean, think about it. It makes more sense if Jesus would have come walk, riding in on a white stallion, right? A white horse, white stallion. Let me tell you something. Spoiler alert. He does come back riding a white horse. Just not this time. First time he came in humble. First time he came in humble riding in on a donkey. Fulfilling what Zechariah has said that he prophesied the Messiah would come in back into Jerusalem. Paraded in on a donkey. I mean, Jesus riding a donkey was like our president showing up ride, driving a, you know, a Prius. No offense to those ride, driving a Prius. Right now, we all seem to be driving Prius. Okay, has to be high. Come on, that's another message altogether. All right. But if the president showed up driving a Prius, we were like, well, where's, the, where's the motorcade? Where, where's secret service? Where, where's the limo with all the, all the bulletproof glass? It's kind of underwhelming. It's the kind of way we look at it. We can look at it and say, this is kind of underwhelming. Why did Jesus ride in on donkey? Two reasons. Number one, it was shows humility that he chose to ride in on a donkey. And then also, in case you didn't know this, a little history here. When the people went out to war, it was custom when they came back that the war heroes would come into town entering on a donkey signifying the war is over and that victory had came. So you can imagine the haters back there looking at Jesus coming back riding in on the donkey and him riding in saying, the war is not yours. I've already won this war. You just don't know it yet. The plan you're dividing for me, you're planning to kill me, but God's planning on resurrecting me. So he already knew the plan of the Lord. And he was willing to submit to it and to put it into motion. But you can understand why he was upset. When Jesus returned home, he already had a bounty on his head. They were already putting out a bounty. They wanted to arrest him. Why? Because he was getting so popular. He had so many people following him. The religious community were following him. The, the people who were not religious were following him. They were going out by the thousands 5, 10, 15, 20, 25,000 showing up on the hillside without a sound system for the Savior to teach. He was feeding them, doing miracles. He was, he was giving freedom and authority away to the people everybody else rejected. He was healing those that nobody else wanted to touch. And so they hated him. He doesn't fit our narrative. We want him to fit our, no, you come back, if you're going to teach about God, you got to go through the Sanhedrin. You got to go through so many years of teaching and, and then you get the robe and then you get the funny white hat and then you can tell people he, he didn't fit their narrative. So they were the religious elite. They, they hated him and they wanted him dead. They were putting a bounty out. Let us know when Jesus gets here. Let us know we're going to have him arrested. He's imposing. He's impersonating the son of God. He's healing on the Sabbath. God help us all. They didn't like it. So you already had a bounty on his head. So 
usually when someone's a bounty on their head, they go, they go like, all right, we're going to go hide in the upper room. You guys go collect a meal. You guys go tell everybody, Shh, keep it down low. He's here, but nobody needs to know. There's a bounty on his head. None of that. He came right down the middle of Main Street, riding on the donkey, just as prophesied as the crowd yelled, Hosanna. Everybody cheered. He knew exactly. He was facing his haters. Let me tell you, your, your Savior did not come in a victim. He didn't ride in a victim. He rode in victorious on the donkey, knowing where he was going. The reason why he wept and the reason why he was upset was because people did not understand what was at hand. It didn't fit their narrative. They wanted him to fit their narrative. The crowd shouts, Hosanna, which means Jesus, save us. Save us now. Jesus, save us now. They thought at that moment he was coming in to overthrow the government and he was going to set back where it needed to be and bring a new spiritual kingdom. They didn't know he was coming to bring a different kingdom. It wasn't a political kingdom, it was a spiritual kingdom. It wasn't that he was coming just to bring peace. He was coming to bring what we needed for our life. That was a peace with God. He was coming to bring atonement for the sins of the world. The crowd wanted Jesus on their terms, not on his terms. You see, the crowd wanted Jesus, as long as he was coming back to bring a new kingdom, a political kingdom, they were waving the branches. Hosanna, Hosanna, God in the highest. Hey, make a way. Here's our king. He's coming back. Here's, here's our hero. He's here. As long as he fits their narrative, it was okay. But the minute he didn't bring a political kingdom, and he said it's all about the spiritual they turned on him. They betrayed him. They sold him off. They had him arrested. They had him crucified. See, Jesus knew. And, and things really haven't changed that much over 2,000 years later. We know this to be true, right? Things haven't really changed. The crowds want Jesus as long as they f he fits their narrative. People today, we want Jesus as long as he fits our narrative. As long as he fits our pronoun, it's okay. As long as he fits our adjective, it's okay. As long as he brings me wealth, it's okay. As long as he helps me, it's okay. But the minute we got to learn to submit, sell out, obey, nah, nah, nah. We don't want that narrative. Why? It doesn't fit our narrative. See, Jesus knew. And that's why he was upset. That's why he wept. That's why he was angry. Because... He understood he was coming for a different reason than what they wanted. And they were missing it. They were missing it. The crowd yells, Hosanna. And Jesus is like, man, you guys are going to turn on me in three days, four days. You guys are going to be yelling, crucify. See, we don't meet Jesus on our terms. We meet him on his terms. So true. It requires submission from you and I. I've heard people say, I'm, I'm, mad at, I'm mad at God. I'm just mad at God. Pastor, pray for me. I'm mad at God. I'm learning to forgive God for all the bad things that's happened. I'm learning to forgive God that I went through. I'm, learning, I'm mad at God. I'm learning to forgive God that I had this pain in my life. Uh, let's just call a timeout. Let me just tell you right now. God doesn't need our forgiveness. We need his. 
My narrative is not about me. I don't, I don't need to forgive God. God needs to forgive me. I'm the one flawed. I'm the one who has sin. I'm the one who needs mercy. I need God's grace. I need God's forgiveness. But my narrative is like, well, I'm mad at God. I'll sell out when he answers my prayer the way I want it answered. I'll sell out when I get the answers I'm looking for. And I'm here to tell you faith doesn't work that way. Faith trusts God even through the most difficult decisions. Faith trusts God even through the hardest of times. Faith says, Lord, I, I believe you. I trust you even when none of this makes sense. Romans 9, 20 says, but who are you? Look, who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Why do we question the one who formed us about how he made us this way? That's what he says. It's okay not to understand. It's okay to be confused. It's okay to be upset. But it's not okay to be mad at God. Faith requires me to trust. It doesn't have to make sense to me. I just have to trust him. Jesus wept openly as he entered the city. Why? Because even though he had taught many, he had healed many, he had fed many, he had done miracle after miracle, and he just been traveling and doing so much for so many people, giving every second he had to, to minister to people, to love them. Even though he did all this, he knew he was despised and rejected. He was despised and rejected. He knew that his, one of his closest disciples, Judas, would go on to betray him. He knew the pain he was about to endure. He knew that the multitude would not understand. He knew the multitude would not understand what he was about to do, what kind of sacrifice he was about to make, what kind of pain he was about to endure, that he would be arrested in the garden, have to go through a makeshift trials in the middle of the night that make no sense, no justice, no legal representation. All throughout the night, he was passed back and forth to the legal system. Finally, they, what do you want me to do with this man? Release the prisoner who's a known prisoner, thief? Or do you want Jesus? And they say, crucify Jesus, give us Barabbas. Immediately he's taken, he's tied to a post and they took a whip that had nine leather straps tied to it with broken glass, hooks, rocks embedded and they whip him, pulling off the flesh with every whip. His back left open raw and exposed. Now they untie him and make him carry his cross on that same back up Calvary's hill. They pluck out his beard with their hands shove a crown of thorns upon his head. They nailed his hands to the cross. They nailed his feet to the cross. They lifted him up so that he would suffocate and drown. His own body flew as it was swelling up. He was dying from the inside. It was cruel to imagine, but our Savior was simply, he was simply abused. He was beaten. He was neglected. He suffered one of the most painful deaths that could ever be imaginable for any human being. Why? Because he loved us. The reason why he got on the donkey on Palm Sunday was because he knew the provision had to take place. 
He cried because they didn't get it. He cried because they didn't understand what he was doing. He cried and he wept. He was upset. But the beautiful picture is today that you and I now, we understand the full story. We understand now on Palm Sunday, he was heading and what was going to happen on Easter Sunday. We understand that. We understand the resurrection. We understand now how he gave his life for us. We understand that he was resurrected. on the, We understand. And so our narrative should be different. Our narrative should be a place of humbling ourselves before God. God, we thank you that you gave your life for me. God, I thank you that you forgave me of my sins. God, I thank you that you nailed yourself to the cross for my sins. Our narrative now changes. As you grab your elements today, I want you to prepare. Open up the bread and pull the bread out of the bottom. One of the last things that Jesus did was he called his disciples together for a last supper. It says there he kneeled down and he washed all their feet. I mean, isn't it amazing that the, he was still teaching to the very last. And one of the last lessons he gave us was to serve one another. He washed his disciples' feet. He said, nobody's greater than the other person. We're all equal here. We're all serving here. We're all serving each other. You want to be great in the kingdom? Learn to serve people. And then it says that he took the bread and he broke it and he passed it to them. And he says, this bread becomes my body. Remember that. Now see, at that time, they didn't fully understand what was going to happen over the next 24 hours. You and I, we do. So us understanding what he was trying to say and what he was teaching about, we have a different narrative now. We understand. And so we take this and we remember that his body went through all the pain and suffering for me. My sin nailed him to the cross. So today, Father, we pray over the bread and we remember the price your body paid for us. That you willingly came on Palm Sunday into Jerusalem, knowing it was set into motion, your arrest and your crucifixion. And your body was sacrificed for me. And today we remember and we say thank you. Holy are you, God. Let us eat the bread together. and he says likewise in the same manner this cup represents my blood now we understand what that means right we understood we understand now what that means that means the blood of the spotless lamb of God would be shed for the atonement of the sins of the world and all who would believe in Jesus and the power of the cross, their sins will be washed away, made atonement for, no longer to be brought back up, but they could walk in one with the Father once again. But it wasn't free. Someone had to ride it on the donkey. Someone had to stand in our place. And 
and it was our Savior. Even when we yelled Hosanna, even when we yelled crucify, even when we didn't understand, he went there for you and I. He completed his mission for you and I because he loved us that much. So today, Father, we remember the cup. We remember the blood shed for our sins. We say, thank you, Father. Thank you that you gave your life for us. Every mistake is covered under your blood. You've made atonement now for my sins. I can now walk with the Father. Let's drink of the cup together. Now I want you just to bow your heads where you're at. Can we just take a minute, personal reflection? Let's just take a minute in your own words, begin to thank the Lord. In your own words, begin to thank the Lord for dying for you. Thank you, God, that you rode in on that donkey. Thank you, Lord, that you accepted the will of the Father and submitted to that so that we could all live free. Thank you for taking the pain. Thank you for taking the rejection. Thank you for taking everything that came with the cross so that we wouldn't have to. From our heart this morning, God, we say thank you. Thank you for dying for us. I just encourage you in your own words to say, God, I love you. I love you. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Father.